Did you ever have a favorite toy growing up? Something that you took with you everywhere, curled up with that night, held in your lap on every car trip? It's probably a doll, stuffed animal, or action figure, right? If so, you're not alone. Most kids have that one special toy that's more than just a toy. It's their constant companion. It goes everywhere they go. They talk to it, maybe even feed it. It's almost a member of the family. For me, it was a set of two horses that I named Thicky and Thunder, because I was an odd child and evidently appreciated alliteration. The two stallions, one black and one brown, went everywhere with me, and we survived many adventures, battles, and imaginary pools of quicksand and lava together. We were inseparable until one tragic day when I accidentally dropped them through a floor vent. Years later, however, that vent was cleared out, and I was able to share one more heartwarming moment with my pals before they were off to the garage sale bin. But what if your favorite toy was more than just a toy in a different way? What if it was capable of doing things on its own? What if it understood you? What if it controlled you? And what if it became jealous of your time and attention to the point that it threatened your family's safety? In the story we're about to tell you, that's exactly what happened. You're listening to Myths and Mysteries. A giant, hairy creature, part ape, part man. Indians call him Sasquatch. There are busts of King Tut that also show an elongated skull. Taunting the police, chiding them, daring them to capture him. And finally, he invented a name for himself, Jack the Ripper. Analysis of the grand features suggests that this animal was indeed at least 40 feet long. He could have easily eaten up a man. I expect that we'll keep looking um, from now on until we find him or find out what happened. The story of Robert the Doll begins in 1904 when he was manufactured by German toy makers called the Steiff Company. He was originally a mannequin for displaying doll clothes in store windows, and as such, he was quite large, three feet, four inches tall. He was made out of a soft material, stuffed with straw, with black beads for eyes. And as a mannequin, he should never have ended up belonging to a little boy. But he did. Somehow, Robert ended up in Key West, Florida, at 534 Eaton Street, as the property of Robert Eugene Otto. Robert received the doll on his fourth birthday, October 25, 1904. There are two different stories of how young Robert got the doll. One says that it was a cursed gift from a Bahamian maid who worked for the Ottos and had done a voodoo ritual over the doll, while the other, which seems more plausible, is that the boy's grandfather purchased the doll while on a trip to Germany and brought it back to Key West for him. No matter how the doll made its way to the boy, once he arrived, he dominated young Robert's life. Soon, Robert Eugene Otto started going by the name Gene, and gave his first name, Robert, to the doll. Gene dressed Robert in some of his own baby clothes, a little sailor suit. Robert went everywhere with Gene, and Gene talked about him as an equal, 
like another person, with his own personality. The doll had a place at the dinner table with Jean, and the boy even snuck him bites of food. The doll slept in Jean's bed at night. His love of Robert the doll bordered on obsession. Jean eventually got his father to build Robert his own bedroom in the attic. The doll now had his own room, furniture, and toys. And it appears that it was around this time that unusual things started happening around the Otto home, with Robert receiving the blame. Things went missing and turned up in unexpected places, with Jean insisting that it was Robert who had moved them. That could have been written off as just a child playing pranks, but then things happened that made Jean's parents start to wonder. They would overhear Jean having conversations upstairs with Robert, and they heard a second voice answer back. They would sometimes hear Jean start to cry and sound afraid, and they'd go upstairs to check on him, only to find Jean whimpering on one side of the room, with Robert seemingly glaring at him from the other. The creepiness increased until, allegedly, Jean's great-aunt came over and was disturbed by Jean's attachment to Robert the doll and the way that Jean blamed everything on Robert. The great-aunt put Robert into a box and stashed him away in the attic. The night after Robert was put into the box, the great-aunt died. Filled with dread, Jean's parents freed Robert from the box. After that, Robert remained Jean's constant companion until he was old enough to leave home and attend college. Jean studied at the Academy of Fine Arts in Chicago, the Art Students League in New York, and, finally, the Sorbonne in Paris. When he returned home, he was a married man. Robert the Doll was given a seat in front of an upstairs window, where people outside could see him, and he could see them. Many passers-by reported seeing Robert move from room to room, or that his eyes would follow them as he walked past the Otto home, which was now known as the Artist House. Soon, people were avoiding the house altogether. A plumber who was working in the house noticed that Robert had moved from one side of his room to the other without anyone else entering the room, and that the toys that had been in Robert's lap were now scattered across the room. Other people who visited the artist's house reported hearing footsteps upstairs in Robert's room when nobody else was up there. Gene Otto lived in the artist's house for the rest of his life, until his death in 1974, and he never got rid of Robert. Robert remained in the attic of the artist's house, and the home's new owners experienced many of the same things that the Ottos had. Robert would randomly turn up in rooms where nobody had left him, or outside bedroom doors. One famous story says that one night, the house's residents woke up to the sound of laughing, turned on the bedroom light, and found Robert at the foot of their bed with a kitchen knife. Eventually, the house was bought by a woman named Myrtle Ruder. Robert continued his old tricks, showing up unexpectedly all over the house, but Myrtle kept him for 20 years, before finally donating him to the Fort East Martello Museum because, she said, the doll was haunted. The museum kept him stored in the back, out of sight, but somehow the public found out he was there and kept asking that he be displayed. He even got fan mail. 
The museum relented and put Robert on display. Robert the doll sits in a glass case with a stuffed toy dog on his lap. But according to reports, he's still up to no good. Cameras malfunction around him, electronic devices stop working, and people who disrespect him or take his picture without permission reportedly suffered dire consequences shortly thereafter. The museum routinely re receives letters from people apologizing to Robert and asking him to lift whatever curse he's placed on them. Visitors and museum staff alike have claimed that Robert's smile turns into a glare when he's angered. The overnight cleaning staff has said that after turning off the lights in Robert's display case, they will sometimes find the lights all turned back on with Robert in a different position from where they'd left him. Can a child's toy really come to life? And if so, how? Maybe giving Robert his own room, clothes, toys, and name also imbued him with a personality. Maybe he really was given a voodoo curse by the Otto's maid. Maybe he was something else entirely. Or maybe Robert's behavior was nothing more than rumor and paranoia. Maybe we'll never know. Spencer, it's been a long time, but here we are back in the saddle for episode 27. Feels good, doesn't it? I, uh, it's okay. I've been better, you know. <laughs> I, um... I feel like I'm... that has more to do with the topic than anything else. Oh, 110%. I mean, I, I couldn't be more excited than I am to be back and recording episodes, and, um, and I really, really have been looking forward to this and putting it together, but then it as we've been putting together the episode and the production, the the one uh, underlying theme that keeps popping into my head is, why? Why did we do this to ourselves and pick this episode to be the one that we ended up coming <laughs> back to and giving a sneak peek to our listeners? We did this twice. We had production issues the first time, and we've done this to ourselves twice. Yeah, you know, originally... We were going to do this particular episode because we were going to drop our comeback episode on Halloween. We are like, what would be a better creepy Halloween episode than Robert the freaking Haunted Doll? Nothing. And coincidentally, just like all those people trying to take his picture in the museum, we've had technical issue after technical issue. So, is it related? Uh, you tell me, you know? I can't say for sure. Um, you know, but we've... It's been perfect. Let's Let's just say that. You know, we've had the... The technical difficulties and the issues uh, in both locales where we are, uh, crazy Friday the 13th type weather, um, it's been perfectly set up for an episode like this one. And Zach and I actually send each other pictures uh, from time to time just to kind of mess with the other one and give him a jump scare of a picture of Robert the Doll because he's creepy as all get out. And uh, so now here we are talking about him twice and it's, it's just been it's been a great uh, comeback episode. Yeah, he is creepy AF, and I, uh, as the kids would say, I guess, and uh, the one thing I discovered as I've been researching the story of this haunted doll is, I have three kids, my house is loaded with dolls, so um, I'm I'm not going to lie, I'm pretty excited that this one's going to be over and done with, and we can move on to the next topic. Same, same. So, alright, let's get into it now, we've chatted a little bit. Um, I guess the main question here that's going to determine the answers to the rest of our questions is, is this possible? Is it possible that 
this creepy looking little sailor doll could be alive that somehow um it was able to become sentient and do all the things in the story and i think you you really put your finger on it that it all comes down to that specific root and i'm going to actually word your question a little bit differently i think getting down to the root uh, of answering that question we'll need to answer whether or not we believe in one of two things spirits or in general if that if they exist or if uh you know either a spirit could be put into a doll or that a doll could be brought to life by something outside and so i'll go ahead and go first um since you wrote the episode i'll be the first one to put my actual opinion out there for people to hear and mock me um it's a it's a tough one if you think you could think about everything from Ouija boards to the Catholic Church to biblical accounts of things like uh, demon possession or spirits or conjuring. And I don't think you have to subscribe to a particular faith or religion to believe that the supernatural exists and that spirits and conjuring are possible. And so I'm going to say, while I'm not 100% on whether or not they could go into an inanimate object, uh, even the Bible gives us instances of things like demon possession uh you know a spirit entering into a pig or multitude of pigs and doing things and so i don't know that an inanimate object feels like a stretch so i'm going to say i think that while some of the things seem far-fetched in this story i I think it could be possible yeah i'm with you on this one i think uh you know we both believe that um the supernatural is real that demons and spirits exist uh, not sold on ghosts, but, you know, demons and spirits we, we believe in. Uh, so I guess the question is, if we believe that it's possible that those things exist, then I guess the question is why? Why, of all things, this creepy little doll? Like, the doll's creepy enough without any of the story. It's But, but if you're uh, a spirit, why would you be in this doll? I don't have an answer for you other than for the sheer uh, dramatic effect and terror because it's creepy as crap. Um, and I would think that if I was a, any kind of malicious spirit, whether, you know, uh, being trickster E or evil, um, I would think that an evil spirit would get immense pleasure out of terrifying the snot out of people. And that's all that I have for you. You know, I don't know. <laughs> uh, I don't know You know why I pick any particular inanimate object other than uh, sheer fear effect. That's all I got for you. Yeah. Okay. Works for me. Uh, I guess one of the big things we're going to have to differentiate as well is if you're, let's just say that Robert the doll is alive and runs around with kitchen knives and looking out windows, then, okay, is he, A, did he become sentient? Was there a sentience put into him that was not there before? Or was he possessed by something that already existed? I don't know if there's a way to really answer this question, but I think it should be pointed out that there's a difference between those two things. Yeah, sure. Do, do you have any thoughts or you want me to go first? Well, I think it's going to depend on which backstory you believe. If you believe the story that he was cursed by uh, the Bahamian maid in the household, then okay, that... The, the story says that that's voodoo. So maybe maybe that's the summoning of a spirit and then the binding of that spirit to the doll. If you believe the story that um, he came to life when he was given uh, the boy's name as his own, and given his own room and his own possessions and stuff, and became part of the family, and that's when he became sentient, then I guess you would say that he was get, he 
developed an intelligence that wasn't there. So I think it just depends on which backstory you believe. That's fair. And this is a good point to bring up a fact that is, this story is really difficult to find any kind of uh, real hard evidence on, because it's more under the category of lore or legend and rumor and suspicion. So while some of these accounts are more historic uh, or historical in nature, there's different versions of every uh, of this story on every source that you look at. So from website to website, podcast to podcast, you're going to get different information. Everything from that the uh, the boy Jean's mother was Bahamian uh, and the maid to just the maid to some people saying that the doll even had some of Jean's hair on his head. And so these are the things that the story the story changes. Uh, from telling to telling, and that makes it even harder to settle on if you have an opinion on one of these things because it's just more difficult. And so I guess if I had to have an opinion on the distinction between was Robert, uh, you know, a sentient doll or was he, uh, you know, if this if the story is true, uh, maybe something, a possession or a spirit, I would tend to lean probably toward a spirit that it was a, a conjuring or something that already existed going into the doll. And my main reasoning for that is that I don't typically subscribe to the belief that um, something would just come out of nothing, that a, a doll would just become sentient, that there was uh, it's some just malicious, you know, crazy sentient doll. So um, not the craziest theory I've ever heard, but I tend to lean the other way. Agreed. And, you know, it's funny that you were talking about the way that um, there's almost no cold hard facts in this story it's all hearsay that was the very next point in my notes it's almost like we've tried to do this episode before and had to redo it which is you know (laughs) man it's just spooky the way that you knew that but um that was the next point i was going to bring up is that um this story almost none of it is like verified written in ink 100 percent true fact a lot of it is just hearsay and i think this story to me feels a lot like a campfire tale, right? That you would tell around a fire at midnight with your friends in the woods that um, it feels like there's core details of the story. And then a lot of the other details around it and, and telling of the events of the story change depending on the storyteller, you know, like we, the, the, the part of the story where Robert shows up at the foot of the bed with a kitchen knife, right? The first version of the story that i read didn't even have that in it and i had to google search robert the doll kitchen knife to find a a telling that did because obviously that belonged in our episode um it's it's just you know you you try to to get this whole story and depending on what your source is parts of the story are completely different so it really has that feel of almost like a campfire tale going through the telephone game it does, and I think, you know, we had planned to talk a little bit about some of the parts of the story that seemed more believable, and also parts that maybe are not so believable, but something that just popped into my head going off script completely is, do you have a favorite part of any of the telling? Something that stands out to you, whether it just be a funny part, a particularly scary part of the story, or just something that stood out to you that you felt like was really uh, noteworthy? 
I actually do. There was a, a, a it's, it's a creepy story, but there was one part that I actually laughed out loud about while I was writing this, which is it's not in this in the the part that we read earlier, but. Uh, as I was going through, I read this one story of a museum employee who opened the glass case and was going to take like a close-up picture of Robert the doll, and he, for some reason, took Robert's hat off. And at the moment that he took Robert's hat off, all his equipment shut down. And I just had this image of Robert the doll being like, you are not going to take a picture with my bald spot. You know, like, <laughs> now, now your camera's broken. You know, like Ain't you get my good happening. side, yeah, you get my good side, or you don't get it at all. Like, just you know, <laughs> don't take his hat off. You take his hat off, you show his bald spot. It's, it's not happening. <laughs> That's fantastic, and uh, yeah, and don't come back in here either. You know, but for me, it was um, one particular part that we did include in the scripted segment, which was that Gene allegedly fed. Robert from the table and that's our, like it's one of those creepy things that you're like wow you know this crazy relationship and un- uncomfortable probably too far relationship that this kid had with the doll but to me I visualize everything and so I was visualizing you know it says like he would sneak the, uh, the doll bites when his parents weren't looking and <laughs> and I'm picturing like spaghetti night right and the family sitting at the table and, you know, that someone, you know, rings the doorbell, which they didn't have in like 1890 or whatever. And, you know, everyone looks away and he like sticks a fork full of spaghetti into Robert's face, you know. And so like people look back and there's spaghetti sauce all over the place and like, really, Gene, you know, did you do that? And he's like, no, man, Robert, it was Robert. But I don't know, there's just so many different uh, random details of, of this story and... uh we should we should talk about some of the ones that we think are probably more realistic and less realistic, but there were some things that just needed to be brought up because they're kind of out of the blue and just unique to this story. Yeah. The one issue I have with your story there is that there's no way this little kid is giving the doll the good food, right? Like, Gene's eating the spaghetti and meatballs, and Robert's getting the Brussels sprouts. And maybe that's why uh, he was so cranky, you know? like That would the do story, it for me. He's like the dog the, under the table. The story doesn't say they had a dog. So if the kid's going to get rid of his vegetables in the way that all kids do, he's giving it to the doll. Well, I have a completely newfound level of respect for Robert the doll because I would be a little ticked off too. Yeah, it's almost like, yeah, okay, you do you, Robert. I get it. You know. <laughs> um, so one of the first notes that I have is that um, the part of the story towards the beginning where things are just beginning to escalate where things are happening, things are, I think we can assume, being broken or moved around the house or tipped over or whatever, little things around the house that are that Gene is saying, oh, Robert did it, is to me, being a father of small children, that just sounds like the behavior of every small child. Like, you know, you don't want to take the blame for even this little, you know, I dropped a plate and it broke. Okay, in the grand scheme, that's not so bad. But the kid's not like, oh, the kid's like, I, I didn't do it. Robert did it, you know? Like, um, my kids have done that with their stuffed animals. Not that any of them have had kitchen knives or been laughing in the middle of the night. But, um, yeah, but, um, you know, that, that just seems like regular child behavior. It doesn't seem like anything really um, sketchy to me at all. It is a kind of a kid thing. And, um, I mean, even as a kid, one time I did something dumb. I think I was trying to be Indiana Jones and broke a lamp with a, a dog leash or something like that. And... When I was confronted by a parent, I told them that aliens did it. And that's not even a joke or an exaggeration. I think <laughs> at my five or six-year-old brain thought that that was going to get me out of that situation. And kids just do that. You know, you don't have to teach a kid to lie or 
to shift blame. And I think it's just, that is kind of a natural thing. And we can look at the relationship between Gene and Robert and say that it was, uh, I keep coming to the phrase too far. Like it was an uncomfortable relationship, I think. Mm -hmm. And one of the podcasts that we listened to and some of the sources that we were uh, reading and listening to were saying how, uh, how bad parenting and how enabling that was as a parent, probably in this situation to have, to allow, you know, this kid who, the story says was cowering in the fetal position in, in the, in a room crying and they come in and, you know, it, and it's because of the doll, you know, so they probably let it built and build an unhealthy relationship. But that particular part of shifting the blame, I don't think necessarily comes across as uh, out of the ordinary. The other thing that I, that I wrote in my notes is that um, a lot of, of the story, especially the parts about what the parents heard. Oh, the parents heard laughing, and the parents heard the second voice, and the parents found him crying while the doll was glaring from the other side of the room. We don't actually have, anywhere that I've seen, an account of the parents actually saying that. All we have is people uh, in stories online or in podcasts saying, yeah, his parents heard this or saw this or whatever. But as far as we know... That's just a rumor and part of the campfire tale. We don't know that any of that actually even happened. Right, and there that is one of the parts of the legend that constantly comes up. That is one thing. Now, if, if you put any stock into finding certain elements of the story in every telling, that is one of the ones that pops up. But I think when we think about some of these things, like him moving around and opening things, and um, I do think it's worth thinking about the fact that the story says that Things happen even when Gene wasn't around because that's significant. But I think this is what raises the question uh, that 99% of sane individuals listening to this podcast are asking, which is if, I mean, even remotely a quarter of this is true, that doll is gone in my house. It's not staying. Yeah. And I'm shocked, you know, that the the parents would continue to put up with this stuff unless they were just terrified that the doll was going to go full Chucky because I am not letting that thing stay in my house if it does 1% of the things that it did in this story. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's going in the incinerator. The ashes are going in a locked safe with a chain around it in the ocean. Like, yep. it's it's gone. It's never coming back. The Full Nemo. Yeah, I, I really, I've gone through the story piece by piece trying to debunk or say that I believe any one part of it, and I'm th just going through it like, okay, the parts where Gene blames the doll it just seems like a child's behavior. The parts where the parents are saying, we saw this, we heard this, whatever. We don't have any proof of them actually saying that. That is very likely not true. Then you get into the part that you brought up where, okay, even when Gene's not around, the doll is being seen in different rooms. It's being found outside of closed bedroom doors. It's appearing in different places. And to me, that sounds like the type of prank that one person in the house plays on another person. And <laughs> we we know that in addition to the Bahamian maid, they supposedly had an entire household staff. Um, and so, you know, you imagine, all right, the owners of the house are away, the kid's off at school, it's just these people, you know, they're cleaning the rooms, almost like a hotel staff, right? Doing their duties around the house. And one of them moves Robert around to scare the pants off one of the other ones. You know, like, that's the sort of thing I would do. I've done that. Um, mm -hmm. In my house, we have a suit of armor that's 
a little bit larger than Robert. It's probably, I don't know, three to four feet tall. <clears throat> Good size. And, yeah, and we uh, it's off to the side, you know, corner of a room where it just kind of is a decoration. And a while back, I started moving it out about four to five inches every day, uh, closer to the center of the room. And, you know, you can do it a little at a time where nobody notices. And then one day my wife turns around and realizes the suit of armor is like three feet out into the room. <laughs> and she's like, Zach, did, did you move this? And I'm like, no, what are you talking about? You know, and I let her be nervous for a little while before I was like, yeah, I've been moving it for three weeks. You know, like, but so like for me to think that Robert the doll showing up all over the house unexpectedly is just a prank. That seems very natural to me. It it really does, and it takes a little bit of the fun out of the creepiness of the story, but I, I actually have a couple of friends who did something really similar, too. One of them found a little Sailor Man statue that's probably about a foot, foot and a half tall, and it's just incredibly creepy, and uh, creeped, the, uh, creeped the, the other spouse out, and so they bought it, and now as a regular joke, they move it around on each other and put it in the shower and put it, you know, in the medicine cabinet and all over just to try to creep each other out. So I think that, I mean, it's a valid point, you know, uh, to move, to move Robert around is, you know, uh, that would, that would certainly be effective on me. That's what I'm going to say there. And that little figure that you're talking about raises the question in, uh, in, in tandem with this story, why are sailor suits so creepy? And why do people wear sailor suits? I, d I really don't know. And absolutely no respect to, you know, like anyone from the U.S. military, but I mean, they're creepy the the whole sailor suit thing i don't know it's something something weird about i think it's like little it's little boyish and uh it just things with kids man they they really they creep me out should we talk a little bit about any of this the elements of the story that we feel like are maybe more believable to be honest i don't know that there's that many of them that are you know like it's funny because i think about this and i go through and i'm able to pretty much satisfactorily to myself debunk pretty much every aspect of the story to the point that I could say I don't really believe it. But at the same time, I am very uncomfortable when I look at a picture of Robert. It's a really weird phenomenon to me. <laughs> it is. And um, and I totally get it. It's one of those things where even though you feel like even, you know, it, let's say going back to crop circles, you know, 80% of them are uh, easily disprovable, but there's 20% that make you really think, you know, and with the Robert the doll thing, I think that a lot of it seems really cinematic, like the knife at the end of the bed and far-fetched, mm -hmm. but there's enough detail in there and enough stuff that is unexplainable that makes you uncomfortable. And one of the things that I thought was worth pointing out that I just wanted to ask about was, why did everyone keep it? And yes. that to me does almost scream of like more of like a, like a possession situation or like a, like an uncomfortable or evil presence in the house or something, because we have, wherever it comes from, the kid keeps it. And if any of the story is to be believed, all of this uncomfortable stuff happens and they keep the doll. And I mean, the, the great aunt who tries to get rid of it dies, which is worth noting and coming back to, because that's a crazy coincidence. Yeah, I think... I think you just have to assume that if that's true, nobody liked her. Because <laughs> if if you're like, all right, there's a chance that this doll killed her, and you keep the doll, um, yeah, nobody liked her. Good job, doll. You can come out of the box. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. but And then allegedly they do. They let it back out of the box after that happens, and then they keep it, and then 
Robert moves away, goes to school, goes meets a wife, gets married, and then comes back and immediately picks up with the doll and is like my best buddy. And it hacks the wife off to the point where, you know, she's trying to get rid of it. And then it's still in the house when Myrtle Reuter moves into the house, the old lady, and she keeps it for 20 years before giving it up as allegedly haunted. And so that, I feel like, is worth talking about for me because that weird connection that it has where people don't get rid of it, I feel like, is just kind of a haunting element to the That was something. Yeah, that was something that I thought about. It was like she kept the haunted doll for 20 years, and then after 20 years, she's like, okay, now it's too haunted. So it's like what happened at the end of that 20 years that it became too haunted for her? Like was, you know, did it show up with a kitchen knife again? It was you know? juggling kitchen knives at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah, or chainsaws or whatever, you know. Like, was it, did it start singing off-key and she couldn't take it anymore? You know, like, like <laughs> what what happened that after 20 years of putting up with the haunted doll, she's like, okay, today is too much. Like, I, I would love to know what the final straw was. I really would, too, and unfortunately, that's part that we can't find anywhere. You know, you asked a little bit ago, is there a part of the story that I believe is true? And I will tell you, you brought it up. The one part of the story I absolutely believe is true is that Jean's wife did not like him hanging out with this doll so much. <laughs> because, you know, she marries him, he's going to be an artist, they're going to live in this mansion that belongs to his family. And she comes home, and he's, like, sitting at the table feeding this doll, and she's just like, I've married a crazy person. So that part of the story, that she was not a big fan of Robert, that I would 100% believe. Yeah, well, you know, you wouldn't be too thrilled either if you, you know, brought someone back to meet your parents and had to introduce him to the doll also. So... I believe it as well. Thank you for listening to this episode of Myths and Mysteries. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Big shout out to all our Facebook fans who stuck with us through our long break and continue to interact with our posts. We were on the break! And thank you to all of you who sent us emails and Facebook Messenger chats to ask questions and make suggestions. If we didn't get back to you, I apologize. We will respond if you contact us. Thank you also to everyone who left us iTunes reviews. You guys are awesome. One last note. At the end of our previous episode before the break, we were on a break! We said we'd be covering the Lost Colony of Roanoke next, but obviously we didn't. Uh, I did a lot of research over the summer, and in my opinion, unfortunately that mystery has been solved. So hopefully you enjoyed this episode instead. Catch us again in two weeks. Happy birthday, Shane, and we'll see you next time.